So I'm going to continue to show this movie that a lot of you probably consider quite boring, and I'm okay with that. It's, uh, it's called Patterson, and there's kind of no plot to it. It's just about him going through his day, and it's about finding joy in the mundane portions of life and kind of the idea that most portions are considered mundane in a sense. But this, this, this particular movie clip, I, I, I told you last week a Franciscan uh, monk called this the most contemplative movie he's ever seen, and, and I understand why. I watched the whole, I'd, I'd only watched a clip of it as of last week, but this week I watched the rest of it. And this scene did more for me than all of the Marvel and DC movies combined. I, I, you know, we, we go into these flashbang movies all the time, and there, if, you, if you watch the whole movie, there's actually an incredible tension to this scene because he is a poet, and he loves poetry, and he writes poetry consistently and constantly. And, and there's, there's like, this, like, like I've, I found myself watching the scenes thinking, tell her. Tell her you're a poet. Tell her. Tell her. Tell her. You know, and there was like this tension and anxiety in me about him, him sharing with her because she shared with him, and he never does. And then you find throughout the rest of the movie, he's memorized a, portion, a, a good portion of her poem and repeats it back to his wife. And you see, you see this like middle-aged crisis, mid-age crisis thing happen where he's, he's questioning whether this young girl is a better poet than he is. It, it, it never says this, but you, you feel it. And this is different than the Hulk smashing somebody into the ground. There, there's, there's like a, it's a different kind of tension, and there's a different kind of joy attached to it. But I'm, I'm thankfully talking about the topic of contemplation, and this scene reminded me of how I used to feel watching the movie Dead Poet Society. I don't know if you've ever seen Dead Poet Society, but if you haven't, then you haven't lived, and there's something wrong with you. But <clears throat> Dead Poet Society is, is, around, is centered around a phrase. Anybody know what the phrase was? Carpe diem which is seize the day. And, and, and there's, there's a scene where, where all the boys are in a cave and they're reading poetry to one another. And one of them says to the other guys from now on, he says, I'm giving up the name Charlie Dalton. From now on, call me Nuwanda. And it's this dumb moment that kind of means nothing, but it means everything to this Charlie Dalton character who is kind of a background character. He's kind of a B character in the, in the movie. But he, he, he changes from this... I'm obeying all the rules, I'm staying behind all the lines, to I'm crossing the lines, I'm doing something with my life, and call me Nuwanda. And, and, and his character really starts developing at this moment. And there's just something about a bunch of dudes hanging out in a cave reciting poetry to each other and seizing the day, carpe diem, that does something for my soul. I'm, I, I shared with you a while back, and I'm just taking my time during these sermons, and I'm finding out that I'm quite enjoying it. But I told you a little while ago about a time that my heart was broken post post high school and how the poet in me died. And I'm starting to realize the importance of allowing that poet to come back to life. I posted my first poem on Facebook this week and received precisely three likes on it, which was, <laughs> my heart is still, still breaking. But I, I'm actually so, like, there's something, there's, a, there's a, an existential pride in the posting of it, despite how nervous I was for doing it. And there's, there's something about poetry and art and contemplation and taking your time to think and process and live in the moment that, that I'm experiencing God in ways that I haven't experienced God in a very, very long time. And I'll, I'll share more as we, we continue on, but we want the larger-than-life, mega, maximum, uber, ultimate theater with maximum size of maxness. And it's because we're, we're, we're looking for something bigger than this life. We, we, think, we think, is this all there is? And so we, we kind of subconsciously want something explosive or, or, or maximum. 
to, to like take us to this place that we want to go. And my, my contention is that if we'll just learn to think about thinking about stuff and we'll, we'll practice the habit of contemplation, that, that we, uh, it's around us all the time. It's around us every moment of every day. If, if, you'll just, if you'll just awaken yourself and allow yourself to see it. And, and I think there's worship involved in it is, is kind of the point. Every now and then, uh, as, a, as a preacher, and I've experienced this many times in my life, is you, you'll be preaching or talking, and, and as, as you guys have experienced, a lot of the stuff I talk about is off the cuff. I have a slide, and I talk about the slide, and sometimes really dumb stuff comes out. I, I get that. But last week, I had this moment where I said something, and I thought, man, that's good. <laughs> like, like, that's really, really good. Where did that come from? And it, it turns out, and that just happens every now and then as a preacher. You're going to say something that you have no idea where it came from, and you kind of feel God in the moment. And, and I actually ended up quoted on Facebook in the, ex- very, the very same quote that that happened. It, it reminded me of the old George Bernard Shaw quote. He says, I like to quote myself. It adds spice to my conversation. <laughs> and so I'm quoting myself this morning, something I said last week, because it, it, it has really gripped me. I said, there's really no such thing as mundane when you get a grip on how wondrous life is. And this is, this is changing my heart and changing my soul and changing what I think is important and what, how, I, how I measure success and what I think worship looks like and what my day-to-day grind turns into. And, and, I, and I hope that I can share it with you guys. I have this great privilege of what, what's going on in my life I get to talk to people about, and I appreciate you listening. But we're, we're talking about how contemplation is the, pro, the practice of being fully present in heart, mind, and body. And it... it, 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 it it comes down to eating food, having a conversation with a friend, going to bed at night. So many times our mind is not where we are. It's just somewhere else. And, and the contemplative life that the Franciscan monks would espouse is kind of a, a life of when you lay down for bed, you feel the fabric on your sheets and you feel the bed beneath you and, and the earth supporting the bed below that and the God who supports the earth who's under the bed, who's under the sheets that you, that you lie on and you experience God by by being in the moment, and I'm finding, I'm finding it's, it's quite valuable to me. And so the goal is with this, this sermon series, and I don't, I don't know how long I'm going to talk about this. You guys know me. I could do an 18-week series and be pretty comfortable with it, but the goal is I, I, I've got notes. I mean, they just keep, and they keep piling up as I study this stuff and as I think about thinking about stuff. The notes just keep piling up, and I could go on and on and on, and I'm, I'm finding myself very passionate about the topic but the goal each week is that I'm going to talk about what I feel like God's showing me as I study contemplation, as I study, study. And then at the end, we'll hit pause, and then we'll have an assignment, and we'll move on till the next week until I feel kind of the, the, the muse lift where, where this topic is concerned. And so last week, does anybody remember what your assignment was last week? Touch the tree. That's right. We talked about simple sensuality. And how sensuality, we, we throw that word out there in a church and immediately people get nervous because they turn it into sexuality and that's not what it means. It, sexuality is a, is a portion and a part of sensuality, but sensuality means that you're essential beings. You're created with five senses, taste, touch, smell, hearing, and so forth. And, and how those, were, those are gifts from God and how each moment that you attune into your senses is a moment that you can feel God and touch God. And so, so we talked about tasting the food, how, how you don't scarf down food, but you relish food and savor savor food. And I said here the plastic was the, because it just seemed easier or, or more interesting than hear the music. But in my, in my van, I notice when you're driving and it goes, there's two pieces of plastic that rub together and now I'm aware of them and it, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm, I'm thankful and 
like I'm conscious of my own consciousness at the, at the moment that, that I start to hear this thing. And now, if you've never been aware of it, there are bugs everywhere. And you can hear them if you listen. There are birds all over the place. There are squirrels. There's, there's, there's the wind in the trees, and it's, it's around you all the time. And if you turn your, turn, tune yourself into it, you're tuning yourself into one of the greatest objects of worship there are in nature. You can smell the soap and smell the baked bread and smell the cut grass. And, and I said, see the stuff. And we talked about the clouds and even the power lines and how the power lines lead to civilization and civilization leads to people and people leads to communities. And you can see all that just at a glance if you're in the moment, if you're aware. And then, of course, I talked about touching the tree. And I meant this literally and figuratively. I just, I just meant there's, there's stuff around you all the time that you can touch and feel and come in tune with. And, and I believe it turns into worship. And I've gotten to where on Mondays, and my, my wife is encouraging it because she probably sees a lot more peace and, and uh, joy in my life as I practice this. But on Monday afternoons, and Monday's usually a 60% work day for me or a 40% work day for me. I take it slow on Mondays. But I'm going to, I'm go, I found a spot about eight minutes from my house where I've been hanging a hammock, and I, I thought I'd show you a video of my spot, but I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't want you to show up there. <laughs> so this is, this is my spot, and it's right smack in the middle of Louisville, and I'm not going to tell you where it is. But this is how I spent a couple hours last Monday, and that's a Jason's Deli salad you see draped over my very white and hairy legs. But I went there, and I took the time to, to do the assignment. So, so this, is, this is one of those moments as a pastor. There, there's times when you, you tell what you, what you know, and then there's times that you talk about what you're experiencing. And this is, this is one of those moments where I'm talking about what I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm living this stuff out, and it's impacting me, and I, I want to share it with you. But I went out there, and I, I tasted the salad. I, t- I, I relished the salad. I took time, and I realized I really like red peppers, and I could live without green peppers. And I, I, like I'm processing this. And the hummus in my salad, I, I tasted it. I savored it. And <laughs> anybody watching me would think I was an absolute idiot because I literally took a tree branch and smelled it. <laughs> I'm smelling the tree branches, and I realize they have a particular smell. And it's, it's planty and naturey and, and woodsy and nutty and grassy all at the same time. And, and if, if I wasn't conscious, like if I was everywhere else, I, I wouldn't be aware of that. And I just felt like I was more aware of my surroundings. And I was aware of the feeling of, of the wind blowing me in the hammock. And I was aware of the, the quacking of the mother duck and the ducks there. And I could see them. And I was, I was looking. And, I, and I'm touching and feeling and tasting and smelling. And, and God is there. And I, I took a picture of the tree next to me. So you can see I hung my bag in it. And I also hung my trash bag because pack it in, pack it out, right? And so this tree is, is literally arm's length away from me. So my hammock is, is hanging here and the tree is here. And I'm thinking, okay, I gave the assignment to touch the tree. I'm going to touch the tree. And so there's this very strange moment of me in nature where I'm going, <laughs> and I'm feeling the tree. And, and, and I reach around the tree and I feel the tree. And you can see at the bottom part, there's a chunk torn out of this tree. And there's this smooth portion where the bark has all been removed in the back of that tree. And maybe this will mean nothing to anybody else but me. But I felt that smooth part, and I realized that the tree has been damaged at some point in its history. And I have no idea how it was damaged, whether an animal did this or whether something fell on it or whether it wasn't lightning because there was no charring. I, I really haven't. Was there, maybe it was a disease. It was some kind of parasite. I, I have no idea. But what I do know is there's this tree out in the woods that nobody else is aware of that is wounded. And that sounds so dumb but I had this moment where I realized that only me and God cared about this tree. 
Only me and God knew about this tree. Only, only God and I saw this history that had played out at some point in, in the chronology of time. Something happened to this tree, and only God and I were connected to it. And somehow, some way, God showed up in that moment. And I was with God. And I knew I was with God. And maybe you've had these mystical experiences in your life, but this was one of them for me. Is God and I were hanging in a hammock about eight minutes away from my house. And so I'm on my way home after that. And I got a phone call. And you know, as a pastor, every now and then you field phone calls that are not fun to field. And people stress you out and have bad news. And this was, this, was, this was one of those phone calls where it was just a phone call you don't like taking. And my response to that phone call was completely, totally different than it would have been two hours previous. Because somehow when I'm fielding this phone call, I've been with God in the last few minutes. And... I'm with God now, and it's just not going to phase me. It's just not going to affect me the way it would have had I not been with God. And I found my, I don't know if you ever do this. I don't think I'm the only person, but I found myself driving with my forearms on the wheel, <laughs> worshiping God. And I try not to close my eyes and cry because then you get in wrecks, and that's bad news. But, but I'm worshiping God as I'm driving after this phone call because I'm still, there's, there's still this lingering presence of God because I touched a tree. And because God showed up in nature and revealed himself to me. And there was, there was more, there's, there's more to the story that I'm not sharing and not telling, but suffice it to say that there was this moment that I touched a tree and God showed up. And then I got home and my wife was in the kitchen and she had been, actually this may have been later in the week, but she had been laying mulch. We, we, we have a, a really big house with big landscape areas and big piles of mulch. We've got piles of mulch literally this high and we're working our way through them and she was in the kitchen, and she had been sweating and working, and I walked up behind her and, and put my hands on her hips and kissed her on the neck. I kissed her right here. And it was so salty because she had been sweaty. She had been really, really sweaty, and so, so she tasted really salty. And, and normally I would have just said, oh, babe, you need a shower. You know, that would have been my response. But I'm, in the, I'm, I'm still in the, this lingering God zone of God being in every moment, and I'm tasting and touching and being sensual and practicing this spiritual sensu sensuality and simple sensuality. And, and I, start think, and I start processing that, and I go to my office, and I think, why, why is sweat salty? Like, what, why did, what, what's the teleology of sweaty salt? Why, why did God design it that way? And so I start reading. I get on Google, and I read, why is sweat salty? And I found out just really amazing stuff about sweat. And again, I, I may be boring the fire out of you guys, but man, Jesus is dealing with me and doing something special. And, and I found out this, that this, first off, it, it needs to be salty because it that's, that's your body's primary way of releasing excess salt in your body, and it's toxic to have too much salt in your body. So at night when you sweat, it's actually salt production, which is really, really healthy for your body. And I also found out that it cleanses your pores, and there's something called microbial adhesion that is so, so microbes and dangerous organisms will cling to your skin, and sweat and salt kind of kills them and cleans you up and makes you safer. And you're going to have less kidney stones the more you sweat. So if you have kidney stone problems, then get out and work out, and it'll help. And it also, there's some heavy metal, which is not the music. It's something totally different. You have heavy medicals in your skin and toxic chemicals. So basically, I found out that when I put my lips on my wife's neck, she was releasing her pork funk and her, her toxic salt and all that other stuff into my lips, which was not appealing at all, but, which isn't to diminish her appeal because it's quite high. But I had this moment of worship. It happened again. I'm like, wow. We are amazing machines that God designed. 
our skin is incredible. What God does through sweat, just the, the process of sweat and how important it is and, and getting out and your heart beating hard and, and, and doing work does, does more than just the work. It does more than build muscle. It does more than burn fat. There's just constantly, it helps your cardiovascular system. And it put me down this rabbit's trail of, wow, worship God, amazing, incredible. And it all started with me kissing my wife. And instead of saying, saying oh, wow, you're really sweaty, it was, what does this mean? What do I feel? What am I learning? Where am I at? What is God speaking right here, right now? And it, it promoted joy in me. There's, there's no other way to describe it. There's a passage in Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I don't think it specifically meant taste your wife. But I think, I think there's something to this thing of when you, when you taste and see. These are two of the senses. And you'll know that the Lord is good. And touching a tree and tasting the food and hearing the music, all of it. It's, it's just amazing what it's doing to me in, in awakening the, the presence of God in every moment. And apparently it meant something to you guys because I get, I get feedback from sermons, both good and bad, you know, sometimes, but I got a, I got a lot this last week. And uh, I'm going to embarrass Marilyn Hawk for just a moment and read you something that she, she wrote. And uh, for a while there, Marilyn was driving to Kansas to visit her mother, and she wrote of that and if you, have you ever driven across Kansas? There ain't nothing there. It's a road and a road, and that's all. There's, there's nothing in Kansas. At least, at least that's what, what people say is you can drive across Kansas and see nothing. But I want you to see what, what Mary experienced. She said, it really made me understand what a gift God gave me all those years I drove by myself to Kansas City to help my parents. Some call that long drive mundane or boring. There's several O's in boring, so she meant boring. But I came to love it so much, alone with my thoughts and the ability to observe what is around me as I drove. I loved observing the landscape and how it changes each season. I loved intentionally looking for plants, trees, flowers I'd never noticed. I loved looking at farmhouses and being grateful for all our farmers and for what they do. I loved looking for churches in the far-off small towns and thinking about what a center of society they are. I loved thinking about and praying for the farming families and how important they are to our country, and I loved seeing the cluster clusters of homes together. I loved observing the different bodies of water and contemplating how essential they are to us. And again, I loved having time with my thoughts. When do we ever get to that kind of time to ponder, wonder, and be grateful? It's kind of a poem, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is a poetic view of life. This is art. And, and, she, and, and I don't know if you were paying attention, but she said, I loved, I loved, I loved, I loved. And she did. She loved. She's not the only one that contacted me. I, I had somebody, I had people make book recommendations. You talk, you, you talk about contemplation, talk about thinking about thinking about stuff, and all of a sudden people are like, here's a book you got to read. Here's, a, here's an author you got to listen to. Here's a teacher. You should listen to their podcast. And multiple times people contacted me. And this is one book that was recommended. It was The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. And it was Christianity Today's Book of the Year. And in it, it says things like this. It says, in the creation story, God entered chaos and made order and beauty. In making my bed, I reflected that creative act in the tiniest, most ordinary way. And the, the, the concept being that all day, every day, there are spiritual analogies surrounding you if you just look for it. And it's something as simple as making your bed can be a spiritual and mystical experience if you're open to it and open to the presence of God and you're, you're centered. Multiple people recommended Richard Rohr to me, who I'm long familiar with. Richard Rohr is kind of the modern guru of contemplation and considered one of modern-day considered a modern-day con contemplative. And, 
He writes things like this. Contemplation is a long, loving look at what really is. And then somebody else sent me a devotional written by Richard Rohr, which quotes Viktor Frankl. And Frankl is an Austrian neurologist. He's a psychiatrist, a Holocaust survivor. He wrote this. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. You can have contemplative conversations where you experience that space, or you can have non-contemplative conversations where you just blather. And Viktor Frankl would be an advocate of the former. He would say, he would say take time to stop and think before you speak. Take the time to stop and think before you act. There's, there's a moment between thought or stimulus and response, and live in that moment. And that's, that sounds very wise to me, and it sounds, it sounds biblical. There's, there's plenty of passages in Scripture that kind of talk about speaking after, you're th- after you think. And that's, that's part of the con- contemplative life and part of slowing down. So why does it matter? Uh, my list of why it matters is about this long at this point. And the one, the one point I want to make today is that contemplation breeds worship. So when I talk about touching the tree or kissing my wife's sweaty skin or hearing the music or tasting the food, there's something worshipful about experiencing that kind of reality that Richard Rohr talks about. And there's the very first passage of Scripture I ever remember memorizing was in Psalm 8. It says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thine fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you watch over him? You've got David, probably David, staring at the stars sometime and thinking, Wow, God is big. Who am I? This is a contemplative passage of Scripture. When you, if, if you step outside and you see the world around you and you see the atmosphere or the effects of the wind or the sound of the birds and the, the, the bugs that are around us all the time or the feeling of the fabric on your body, you realize God's created something pretty special. And it, starts to, it, it, it fills you with this smallness that is kind of necessary in it for humility, and humility is necessary for, for worship. There's something to this sensuality and simple sensuality to me that breeds Breeds worship, and another reason it's, it's, that's tied to this is it's unli- unlimited episodes. So there, there was there was a a TV service or a video service talking about show holes a while back. Anybody ever see those commercials? Where it says, "Oh no, you're in a show hole." In other words, you finished watching Breaking Bad, and you finished watching Ozark, and you finished watching whatever whatever the series that you were on, and now now you're in the show hole. What are you going to watch next? And, there's a lot of options out there, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that there's, there's no show hole when it comes to nature. There's no show hole when it comes to psychology. There's no show hole, show hole when it comes to spirituality. Is if, if, if you're aware and in the moment, there's an infinite supply of a great show. There's an infinite supply of joy if you'll just stop and tune in and see it. It never ends. And I've been, over the last couple of weeks, as I study this stuff, kind of making mental lists and some, some written lists of of areas that I found joy, and they're not Hulk smash moments. They're not moment, Mission Impossible moments where somebody races by on a motorcycle at 180 miles an hour. They're, they're kind of quiet moments in the kitchen. For example, if I manage to break open my eggs without getting any eggshells in the bowl, that's a joyful moment for me. I, I, my, my wife, she does it every time. Every single time she cracks an egg and throws it in a bowl and there's no shell. Every single time, almost every single time, I'm, I'm fishing the shell out. And, and if, you've ever, if you've ever done this, it's, it, they're in this slimy mucus 
feel substance, so they run from your finger. So you reach, you reach for the eggshell, and it goes, and then you move it again. And so finally, you have to kind of scoop it up on the bowl and slide it out with your finger and, and then get frustrated because the next egg I'm going to crack is certainly going to make it, and it's going to be in a, big old, a bigger pile of mucus because now there's an extra egg in it. And so I'm finding, <laughs> I, I realize how dumb this sounds, but I'm finding this, <laughs> it's almost like a video game for me now. I'm trying to eat a lot more eggs. And so when I throw an egg in a bowl, I'm like, yeah, baby, I just scored big time. Like, I'm going to record it and talk to my son about it later. I, I, I cracked an egg without putting shell in the egg. And that, do you see that that's, that's, that's kind of, we, we would dismiss that as a hand wave, as nothing to think about. And, and, and normally we would only feel the frustration of it. We wouldn't take time to feel the joy when we do accomplish it. Very simple task, but I'm finding great joy and I'm wanting to eat more eggs, which is probably good for me anyway. I like to fold towels in threes, not quarters. And if you like it the other way, you're a big dummy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I, 90% don't mean that. Um, so there's something about f- folding them in, in, in threes, like a, like a, like a tri-pamphlet or something like that, that makes them look fluffier and better kept. If you, anybody can fold them in half and pile them up, but to fold them in three, it's like you... You really care about the towels. And that, that, that seems dumb, but there's something about like the pride of a stack of towels. Kara's thinking, when did you ever fold a towel? <laughs> there's something about the pride of a stack of towels, and especially if they've been air-dried instead of, in, instead of machine-dried. Man, air-dried towels stacked in threes, there's something about that that just speaks to me on an existential level and just make, gives me joy. But it also brings back my mom. Because my mom was the one that gave me this great joy of folding towels. <laughs> Basically, because if I folded them in quads, she'd say, do it again. <laughs> I mean, but it, it, like it, there's memories of my mom baked into this stack of air-dried towels folded three ways. And, and there, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing God and experiencing life as I, as I find joy in it. And I also I met somebody new this week, and I've, I've learned over the years that the best, maybe not the best, but something I enjoy is a firm handshake with eye contact. There's something about a firm handshake with eye contact that says, I see you, we, we know each other. There, there's, there's a connection thing that happens. And so I'm, I'm finding great joy in a simple thing like a handshake and meeting a new person in that way. And, and that takes me back to my dad because I remember when he taught me that lesson. I remember when he said, son, when you grab somebody's hand, the dead fish, no, don't do the dead fish. The dead fish is worse than the quad towel, okay? The dead fish is terrible, but he taught, he taught me when you, when you shake hands with an elderly person or, or a lady, you, you match their grip. However, however ever firm they grip you, that's, that's the grip that you give back. And, and maybe, maybe you'll, you're scared of some toxic masculinity thing in this, and who knows where it's hidden. But, but he said, when you shake hands with a man, make eye, make eye contact and, and grip it hard. And right or wrong, I find the enjoyment in that connection and I also find memories of my dad baked in. And it'd be real easy to walk up to somebody and say, hey, I'm HL, and forget their name immediately, which we all do. And instead of relishing the moment and making a connection between two human beings, and that's contemplative, that's, that's I see you, you see me. There's something special about it. There's something joyous about it. And then I found myself really proud of this list of the towels and the eggs and the firm handshake. I, as, as I'm... As I'm contemplating all this, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the, the mouse wheel under my fingers as I'm scrolling through. And 
on my desktop. This, this is a picture from last week of the, the chaos of my desktop, but I'm, I'm finding just stopping. Like, like there's something really gratifying about the fact that I've stopped and felt. It, it, makes, it, it has made me feel like I've accomplished something in life that very few accomplish, which is not to compare me to somebody else. It's, it's just to say that there's some real joy in experiencing joy. It's, it's, it compounds interest on this stuff. It, you start to feel, and then you start to feel the fact that you're feeling, and then I, I'm assuming I'll reach this level where I feel that I felt that I felt, and then things are going to get really wacky and weird. But there's something joyous about experiencing this kind of joy. And I'm just convinced more and more as every day goes by as I practice this stuff that to see the world is to worship. Like, like when I shake your hand and look you in the eye, I'm seeing God's greatest creation. And in doing so, I'm giving honor to God. It's, it's, when, when Paul paints a painting and somebody comes in and says, man, that's a marvelous painting, that's, that's kind of the purpose of the painting is, is to draw attention to the artist. And that's, that's what happens all the time when you touch a tree and you taste the food and you listen to the music and you feel the fabric in the sheets is you're, you're giving glory to the creator and it's an act of worship. And we all know that to listen is to love. We all want to be loved. We all want to feel connected. And one of the greatest acts of worship anybody can show us is to hear us. Isn't that true? To be, to be known, there's, and to, to, to be cared for, admired, and known is somehow built into our psyches in such a way that it's almost the most valuable thing a person can do for us is to hear us. How much more God? How much more God who is speaking all the time in thousands and thousands of ways and we're often oblivious because we're living outside. We're always away from right here, right now. We're always thinking about the next thing or the, the old thing and never, never contemplative. So to listen is to love. Interestingly enough, the fruit of the Spirit. So, so the Bible talks about how the fruit of the Spirit is what grows on you. That when you're connected to the Holy Spirit, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit a lot in our book, book of Acts Bible study on Thursday nights. If, you, if you're not coming to that, Please come, we'd love to have you, or the, Thursday night, or the Wednesday night group as well. But we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does and who the Holy Spirit is. And The Bible says there's some things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, and one of those is to grow fruit. So it, it would be like being an apple tree and growing apples. Is once you're, if you are an apple tree, you grow apples. If you're an orange tree, you grow oranges. If you're connected to the Holy Spirit, you grow particular fruit in your life. There's, there's stuff that, that comes out of your, your branches, metaphorically speaking. Anybody know what those things are? Can anybody rattle off a list? Kindness, gentleness, love, joy, peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And what's really interesting is contemplation is a major catalyst for each one of these. Contemplation breeds joy. Contemplation, stopping and being centered, breeds peace. Contemplation the moment between stimulus and response breeds kindness. Contemplation breeds self-control. All these, all these works that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us, contemplation is like gasoline for the fire. It's, it's something that will, will grow. We, we, we talk about being conformed into the image of Christ and contemplation and taking time to think and be centered and to see and to hear and to experience the reality around you is a huge part in being conformed to the image of Christ. But then the also talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are things like words of wisdom and words of knowledge and healing and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and discernment and so forth. And, and they're the, the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of them, 
Contemplation is huge. Word, uh, word of knowledge, for example. This is, and I've experienced it in my own life multiple times where, where I knew that I knew that God was saying something to someone and wanted to speak through me about someone and I knew something about them that I had no business knowing. And there, there were times that I walked away from those situations and said, God, if you'll just leave me alone, you'll leave me alone. Like, like I, I ignored what God was saying and walked away and there's been times when I stepped up and spoke to somebody and, and, and God showed up and did really neat stuff. But word of knowledge Contemplation breeds that. When you're listening to God, prophecy is another one of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is. And, and in our book of Acts study, we're talking about what that means. It means to speak on God's behalf. And all of us need to hear the voice of God. And it, it, doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean you have to read somebody's mail and predict something in their future. It just means that you hear something from God and you share it with them. It could be as simple as, hey, everything's going to be okay. That's a message that sounds like Jesus a lot of times. But contemplation is where that, where that work happens. You're, you're thinking about God. You're thinking about the moment. You're thinking about the person. I'm thinking about Ernesto and what's going on in his life. And, and, the, and, and that makes, I, I love this guy so much. And as, as, I, as I feel that, because, because I see him, instead of just being everywhere, I see him in front of me. And God could, God could give me words of encouragement to him or toward him. Contempl- and and as, as I see, as I listen, as I hear, as I touch, as I, as I connect... God wants to talk, and we all need that. We all desperately need the voice of God in our lives, and contemplation breeds that in each one of us. And so the, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, benefit from contemplation. And so I'm going to close with this real quick, is how. How do we do this? And last week I talked about simple sensuality, and I want to, I want to pile that back on. This week, touch a tree. And I may literally mean actually walk out in your yard or in a park and touch a tree and see if anything And you may just say, well, it feels... Tree E. I mean, it may not be anything, but it may be a moment God shows up. Taste your food. Smell the soap. See the stuff. Take time to do that. But then also, I want to encourage you to think like the psalmist who says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Maybe, maybe a good nighttime exercise is at some point, sometime this week, you can do it once, it doesn't have to be a big deal. But after sundown, go out and stare at the stars. And when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that thou hast ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you watch over him? Think about the bigness of the heavens. Think about the bigness of creation and the smallness of you, and let God speak to you in that moment. So touch, and, touch taste, see, smell, and so forth. And then sometime, somewhere this week, walk out after dark, and stare at the sky.